0: for your fatherly love for us, your tenderness and your protection, that you nurture our hearts. And we pray that you would just really touch our hearts in a special way this morning and uh, bring more freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a question for, for a kid. Okay, for any kid here, hi kids. Here's a question for you. Why do your parents love you? Any thoughts on that? And just blurt it out. Because they have to. Okay. Uh, out of duty, huh? Because they're forced to. That's the role of parents. That's the thought. Any other thoughts? Because you're awesome. Okay. How about you guys? Do you have any thoughts on that? You don't know. Well, you don't have to have any thoughts if you don't want to. Any other thoughts? Why do your parents love you? I, we could ask a bigger kid. Is it because you're obedient? Is it because No, you don't think so. Because you don't talk back. Well, what do you what do you parents think? Are those true answers or are those not true answers? Not true. Okay, what do you think the true answer is, Mom? Because they're mine. Okay. Right? Some sometimes we we little kids don't always feel that way, right? And Depending on the family that we grew up in, we may think that mom and dad only love me if I'm obedient or um, if I I do my homework or if I don't talk back. But healthy parents in a healthy marriage have a lot of love, right? And they make a choice. And this choice is this. I have so much love. I want to be a mom. I want to be a dad. I want to give. I want to raise somebody. They're not thinking, I need a, a worker on the farm. I need a farmhand so it's out of duty or it's in order to get something. Healthy parents are givers, and they're more interested in giving than in receiving. The dishes were piling up in our house, so I thought we better have some children. Ah, okay, well... That's a, that's, that's a pretty expensive way to get those dishes done because those children really do cost a lot of money, I mean, in all reality. So I'm just saying. Okay, in the long run. Ah, that's true. That's, 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 a, good, that's a good point. That's a very good point. So parents have children that are healthy and they want to love those kids because, as she said, because they're mine. They should be loved. Parents want to love their children because they're their children, not because they're good, not because they're bad, okay? Let's think about God here. God, there was a time when none of us existed. Creation did not exist. You had Father, Son, Holy Spirit eternally. They're love. They're happy. They're living in communion. God is a loving God. Beyond our comprehension, he's a loving God. And he made a decision He said, I want to be a dad. I want to create mankind. I want to create creation, right? And so he did it in six days. He made Adam and Eve. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew that Adam and Eve would fall. Did he want them to fall? Does he want people to sin? I don't believe so. But he knew, and he knew the cost. He knew the sins that we get into. He knew the failures, but he still said yes, right? Why do you say yes? Because he's a dad that is a giver, and he wants to love us and he wants us to cast our cares upon him. He didn't create us so we could be dishwashers. Right? In the in the in the garden, and the garden, you don't even have worship. You have a father loving his kids, right? Worship is valuable. God delights in receiving, but the Christian life really is about giving. Jesus says I give to you not as the world gives. He says, abide in me, abide in my love. All he's asking is that you allow him to love you. And as you allow him to love you, fruit comes. Because he says, if you abide in me, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You're going to bear good fruit. But it's really about relationship. It's really about allowing him to father you. And no matter what you struggle with, no matter how much you failed, It doesn't affect his love for you or for me. He's not going to reject you. He's not going to criticize you. Throughout eternity, we see God as a giver. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, it says, And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, the ages to come is referring to eternity. So in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. It doesn't say that so we can serve him forever. It says that so he can be the one that demonstrates his goodness, his unmerited favor, so that we could be receiving eternally the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus forever. God delights in loving us he delights in serving us jesus before he left this world he got down on his knees and he washed his disciples feet and he knew they'd all betray him did he have to do that was that duty or did he want to do it because he loved them to the end he wanted to do it that's how god feels about his people there is affection this isn't duty this is delight The Bible says that the kingdom of God consists of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Joy in the Holy Spirit. So God wants us to have joy. He wants that to be our experience as being his children. God values fellowship with us more than our works. Do you believe that? Is that biblical? Okay. Think of Mary and Martha. Right, one was a worker. One was a relater. Relater. One wanted to get at the feet of Jesus and connect with the heart of Jesus. And one, one wanted to work. And and it, she had good motives. She wanted to provide for the Lord. She wanted to give him a good experience. She was probably making food. Right. It was valuable, but but Jesus said that, that the other sister had chosen what was better. Right. You think of the prodigal son. The prodigal son comes back. He did everything wrong. Was the father happy to see him after he screwed up and did everything wrong? The father was happy to see him. Why? Because he was a good worker because he was the father's beloved son? Right? That's the heart of God. Much ministry I have seen Now, we're talking right now about love. We're talking about relationship. Um, The relationship comes first in our relationship with the Lord. But some people feel that they're not loved by God unconditionally. Uh, They feel like they don't deserve love. They're not worthy of love deep down inside. So they do a lot of works. They do a lot of works to try and earn their parents' love, to try and earn their own love and to try and earn God's love, right? I've known people like this. I know people, present tense, like this. Much ministry I have seen is performance-based and doesn't amount to much except unhealthy Christians wondering why they are so unfulfilled with their lives. If you have people who are in ministry and they're not liking it and they're suffering, they're getting burnt out, that shows you they're doing the right thing for the wrong reason, right? They're probably doing it to get a sense of value or love. That's very damaging, not only for the ministers who are doing that, but for those who are under them. They they get a bad picture of God if they see that. Now we're going to talk on sanctification. Sanctification is to be holy, to be set apart, right? God invites us into covenant relationship with him through faith in Christ. We're justified purely by grace. He did it all for us. We have a perfect score, as Paul said last week. But then something else happens, which is called sanctification. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit who's in us, who's with us. He's a kind comforter. He's a nurturer. The Holy Spirit is the one throughout our lives who tenderly speaks to our hearts, releases God's love, and brings character and heart transformation. We become like God in our character and in our heart. That's God's objective, to make us like Jesus. From glory to glory, he changes me, right? God is happy. God is joyful. Is that true? So God in his love, sanctification, the reason why God does it because he loves us. We're his kids now, and he wants to make us like daddy, and daddy's a happy daddy. And the more like God we become in our character, the more satisfied we're going to be because the reality is life is all about love. And if we can give and receive love, we're very happy people, right? God is love, and he's very happy being love and giving love and receiving love. Some of us, For some of us, love is a very scary thing. Our hearts are very closed, and so we're not very happy people. We're not very fulfilled. Paul Anderson described perfection as living in perfect love last week. I agree with him. I believe that sanctification is the role of the Holy Spirit that makes us into agape, that brings the nature and quality of our heart into that of unconditional love. That's what God is wanting to do in each one of our lives. First John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. I can't love unless I'm being loved. Love is something that I need to receive in order to give back. God is the author of love. He's the initiator of love. And the more we receive of his love and love from other people who are healthy, the more we can release it to others. Romans 2.4. It's the kindness of God that leads us to Repentance. Right. The kindness of God. I talked to somebody yesterday who I used to mentor and he made a big boo boo, a big one. I won't even say what it is. But God gave me a dream about him. I was supposed to call him and he was really hurting. He lives in Washington, D.C. now. And um, he, held, he, he felt shame and so forth. And he had a, a real bad view of God. Um, something Bad happened, he didn't do what he should have, and he felt, okay, God is, is, is punishing me, God is humbling me in this. And I was like, no, he's not. No, he's not. God doesn't use shame and failure, and I told you so, as a means to discipline his children, right? The Bible says, Romans 8, 1, there's, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. He doesn't use fear, he doesn't use intimidation to make us holy, Right, remember it's love that makes love. Love begets love. Fear begets fear. Intimidation begets intimidation. Authoritarianism, control begets slavery. We're not slaves. We're sons. We're we're heirs of God, and we have rights. The Bible says that sons have rights. So God does not treat us that way. And if we believe the lie that God would use condemnation, or fear, or judgment, fear of loss, or shame to make us do the right thing, then we don't know who God is. That's the devil. That's not God. Okay? I've had situations in my life where I felt the Holy Spirit compel me to, to read Scripture, and he made me aware of some areas in my heart that, uh, where, where there was compromise and where I, I needed to give those things over to the Lord, and I wept. But it wasn't out of shame. It was, it was because God cared enough, and he started to cleanse my heart. And, and there is a revelation, a truth. It's like this way of thinking, this behavior is not helping me. God has a better alternative. And in sanctification, we truly believe in our hearts. We're going beyond behavior here, right? We truly believe in our hearts that God's way is better than our way than the way that we we receive from, from our forefathers, the ways of the world, right? Sanctification doesn't primarily focus on behavior. It focuses on the heart. It focuses on our motives. And we see different ministries and people that just focus on behavior. My mom focused on my behavior. I obeyed her, but I obeyed her out of terror, right? And you have... You have ministries that look at, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And then you have people that are so terrified. If I showed this person what I was struggling with, if I made the mistake, I'm going to be judged, criticized, rejected. Does it help or does it hurt more maybe to focus on behavior and and ignore the heart? I think it hurts. You can have people who are well-behaved, but they're dysfunctional inside and they are suffering. They're in agony and they're they they've been conditioned to just try and perform 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 that doesn't work so true sanctification is bringing us beyond behavior as to actually the the root and cause of our behavior which is what we believe in our heart what we feel in our heart and that's where the holy spirit leads us to is beyond behavior kindness is an expression of love 1st corinthians 13:4 His kindness leads us to repentance. So it's God's love that leads us to repentance. It's God's love, his tender care, that leads us to that. Repentance is sincere regret or remorse. It's not shame. It's an awareness that I did something wrong. And because I care, because I love, I regret it. And I turn away from that that action or that thinking or that attitude. It's God's love touching our hearts, our lives, that transforms our character. Bible says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear cannot be a motivation for obeying God. It really shouldn't be because it's not biblical. There is a healthy fear of the Lord, but it's reverence and awe, knowing that God, everybody's going to answer to the Lord, right? So, so there's an awareness of God's authority and his greatness and his holiness. But the, here it says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. If I think, I better not do this because I'm going to get punished by God, then I don't know who God is again. I don't know the heart of God for me. I need to realize that no matter what I struggle with, God loves me, and the discipline that he is going to release in my life is actually for my good. Right? It's not to make me feel like a doofus. It's to transform me. Right? It's love-motivated. The one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Fear does not bring about sanctification. It might look good on the outside, but on the inside, it's dead man's bones. Fear of consequences for sin may be a good reason not to commit that sin. I asked a friend a few days ago who's really, really, really struggling with lust and sexual thoughts. I'm like, why are you not giving in? And he said, because um, I'm afraid what the consequences will be. And I said, you know what, that's good. It's good that it, that, it's, it, that fear is holding you back from compromising because it will hurt you, but I said, I pray that you get to a place where you don't want to do these things because love has taken over. That's a much better place to be. In true sanctification, the desire to commit the sin is no longer there because your heart has changed. Okay? Okay, in true sanctification... The desire to commit the sin is no longer there because your heart has changed. Your nature has changed. You don't want that anymore. You want something different. You want what God wants. I struggled with anger and resentment much of my life, anger towards people. I've been going through a deep process of inner healing as I've forgiven my parents and brother for the hurt they caused me. My anger and resentment have really subsided and have really turn to more grace and and care i would really struggle with thoughts that were competitive comparison envy jealousy things like that but i become much more whole so one way that god sanctifies us is through inner healing by binding our broken hearts wholeness leads to holiness i found that to be true in my life Inner healing, what is it? It's bringing unresolved anger. Maybe I brought it into my salvation. Maybe I got really hurt, angry at somebody in my salvation. The Bible says that you let the sun go down in your anger, Satan gets a foothold. It opens the door to uh, demonic toxification in your emotional life. It's not good. Lies we believe in pain, we give that over to Jesus, and it gives him lordship over these areas in our emotional life. Then these parts of our hearts are able to feel loved by others and by God. When you get that kind of inner healing, your heart can feel love that uproots much of the envy and jealousy that you might struggle with. Sanctification happens within the context of a loving relationship with God. Sanctification, God doesn't force it on us. He invites us to it. Some people are a lot more sanctified than others, and a lot of it really has to do with how you view God. Are you going to let him in? Are you going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit? Right? The Holy Spirit is a sanctifying agent, but the Bible also says that we need to cleanse ourselves from impurities. So there's, there's two sides to the coin here. It's just like salvation in a way where, where the Lord invites us to covenant with him, but then we need to respond by saying yes. It's the same idea with sanctification. Holy Spirit invites us to that. I want to make you more like your father. But we need to say yes and stop agreeing with the demonic and with the flesh in that. And how does it happen? The Holy Spirit convicts us in a loving and respectful way. We feel loved by God in this process, not rejected, put down, judged, or shamed. We respond with a love-based remorse and desire to change in this area of our hearts. And the Holy Spirit actually empowers our hearts to change. This is a manifestation of God's grace. We can't change on our own. God is the one who empowers us. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit's not the fruit of Paul Anderson or Bob Newman. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? So it's his empowering us to become like Father God. What does that look like in your life, in your heart, in your struggles? It's replacing lust with love, envy with thankfulness, competition with service, self-hatred with self-acceptance, replacing a critical spirit with a gracious attitude, replacing the lies we believe about ourselves and God with truth. Romans 12.2 says, Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In reality, sanctification is getting rid of lies that we believe and replacing them with truth, letting the Holy Spirit replace those lies with truth. Now, what's the opposite of sanctification? Well, there's more than one, but performance is one of the opposites of sanctification. It's an attempt to get love, to feel loved, to feel valued by others and God. If you're trying to get love from others through your performance, it means it's an evidence that you don't, believe you're lovable. I don't have value. I don't deserve to be loved. Right? That's what's that's the driving force behind performance. It's doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Believe that if I do this ministry, if I serve this way, God's going to love me more. People are going to love me more. Then I can feel good about myself. The reality is is God doesn't love us more or less based upon our ministry or our failures, or our successes. Is that true? His love is constant, and it's based on his nature and the fact that we are his children. It has nothing to do with our behavior. Where does value come from? Any thoughts on that? Some people in here feel like I'm valuable, and they treat themselves like they have value. Some people here feel like I'm a piece of junk, and they treat themselves emotionally, and maybe through their behavior like they're a piece of junk. How does that happen? Any thoughts? Okay, people in your life. Identity value is not something that's earned, it's given. Right? Who are the main givers of our identity and value ordained by God? Well, Jesus when we're saved, but when everyone is born into this world, God has ordained, given the authority of mom and dad, to establish value and identity into those children, right? Matthew twelve twelve says, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? So God says that everyone has value. Children have much value. But some children grow up in environments where they feel like, I don't have value. Because remember, they're taught by their children. The Bible says that, that um, parents are supposed to teach their children right that is a responsibility ephesians 6 4 talks about fathers are supposed to bring children up in the nurture and admonition of the lord i like the word nurture because nurture implies stewarding and tending to the heart of the child some of us grew up in environments where our parents could not steward or tend to our hearts in a way where we felt loved and valued if dad is always at work He's always angry if he can't bond with our hearts if he's strict if mom is um, emotionally distant can't bond with us can't meet our needs we're going to feel like we're worthless to our parents and our our sense of reality our sense of identity um, is taught us by our parents we internalize the way our parents treat us when we're in the formative years of childhood so that's the way that it works Jesus' parents were righteous, right? We read in this, he had a stay-at-home mom that could tend to his needs. He had parents that loved God and each other. That's a big deal. If your parents love each other, you're going to probably feel pretty valued. If they don't love each other and you come from a divorced home or they live under the same roof but they act like they're divorced, they're emotionally disconnected and guarded, you're not going to feel valued. You're not going to feel loved, okay? Okay. Jesus spent quality time with his close knit family. His emotional needs were met. The human part of his nature as a child was well nurtured by his family. He had a good start. That is a type of experience God desires for all children. How many felt like they grew up in a good childhood where their emotional needs were met and they felt special? I feel special by dad. I feel special dad comes home from work and he smiles at me and he picks me up and he says, I love you. He spends time with me. He plays with me. He bonds with me. Or is it, oh, I got to take take care of this darn kid again, another dirty diaper. I want to do my own thing. But this kid's in the way. I'm a slave to these children. I grew up in that environment. It's no wonder why I was suicidal when I was in sixth grade, Right? That's, that's what happens when you don't feel like you have value. You feel like a piece of crap, and you just suffer. And pre- people who are hurt and don't have that sense of love as identity, that hurt tends to compound throughout their lives. That's why I was so um, ingrained in performance. Um, if a child's needs are met, here's what the child thinks. I'm special, my needs are important, and I should take care of myself because I'm important. If a child's emotional needs aren't met, the child thinks, I'm not important, I lack value. God designed us to feel important and have value. And if we don't feel like we have value, then we're going to do pretty much anything we can to try and feel valued and get love, right? And that's why so many women who didn't have fathers who, who had a, a strong place in their lives will look for love in all the wrong places because lust is better than nothing. They want to be held in a guy's arms. Um, and they don't have very high standards because they don't really think they deserve—they <laughs> don't deserve love in the first place because their dad conditioned them to believe that they didn't deserve love, right? That's the way it works. Your childhood really is foundational, um, and really d- directs how you end up treating yourself and how you allow yourself to be treated by others when you grow up. Performance. I've known many, many young guys whose dads were absent and then they get involved in sports. Sports is a good thing. But they look to sport. They look to achievement to try and find identity. And they get 30, 40, 50 years old and their life still revolves around sports. And you know why? Because they're looking to sports to try and find a sense of identity and love and, and affection. Right, And it can be anything. It doesn't have to be sports. But if, if we're addicted to things, if we can't let things go, and we get so emotionally attached to different behaviors or practices um, that, are, that are just really intense, that's a good sign that we have some pretty deep unmet needs from childhood and God wants to deal with those needs. Some people, they're addicted to ministry. I know people like that. They can't let it go. They, they, they can't love themselves or feel like God loves them if they stop ministering. That's a good sign that you're using ministry as a drug. And we've got to stop that if that's the case and and, uh, not try and use that to to meet unmet needs. Sometimes we get severely disciplined by our parents. Discipline is necessary and good. But uh, some of us grew up in environments where the parent wants our behavior to be good or at least make their lives more convenient. And Here's what good discipline looks like. I might give you a spanking. I might say you got to stop that. I'm going to give you a five minute timeout or whatever. But the parent does not emotionally withdraw from the child. The parent doesn't shame the child. The parent releases consequences, but the child knows the parent still loves them. Okay, that's healthy. And people who grow up on that kind of discipline, they realize that when I make mistakes, I'm not going to be rejected and shamed. Right, and some people who make mistakes, they, they they release so much shame on themselves because they believe a the lie based on their upbringing. If I make a mistake or upset somebody, I have to feel ashamed of myself. That's the right way to respond. I have to punish myself by feeling shame. Okay, so here's what happens in some of our situations, and even in cer- certain Christian parents can do this, where. They get angry at their kids. They get reactionary. They discipline out of anger. They yell. They give a a dirty look, a condescending, shameful look, and it just baptizes their kid in shame. And they emotionally withdraw from their child. And their child feels like this: If I make a mistake, if I if I make mommy or daddy angry, I'm not going to be loved. I'm not going to be accepted. I'm going to be rejected. Because that's how the parents treat him I, I I work with a guy he was he was acting up in his car when he was in like you know whatever six, seven years old, and the dad turns back and yells at him and says, "If you don't stop that right now, I'm taking you to the kid's shelter." Okay So what was the dad's objective is to conform the behavior, but he used terror to try and do this. Why does he struggle with anxiety? Why does this guy know struggle with anxiety so much? I'll tell you why. And some of us who struggle with really intense anxiety, there's a reason for it. It doesn't just come out of a vacuum, right? It's because they did not grow up in an unconditional love-based environment. They grew up in an environment where if you don't do the right thing, mom and dad are closing their hearts to you. You might not be a part of that family anymore. Maybe you felt you were a mistake. Maybe your mom was too unhealthy or too preoccupied or she had to work, and so you as a little baby are not getting your me- needs met, and you're crying, you're crying, you're crying, mom's not meeting those needs, and then you start to form separation anxiety where mom is not coming to meet your emotional needs or your physical needs, and that, that can damage you for life. God can heal all this stuff. But again, there's a, there's, a, there's a huge problem with anxiety in our culture, and here are some of the reasons why that is the case. Okay? Now we're going to switch over to ministry. A lot of us do struggle with performance here, right? Some of us do. And I'm going to lead us in some prayers of forgiveness. Some of us need to forgive our parents for being too strict, for emotionally withdrawing from us, for rejecting us, shaming us, not being able to meet our needs. And some of us look at God as the same. If we screw up, we feel we can't enter into his presence, right? We don't know what grace is because our parents didn't show us grace. And that gets projected onto our relationship with God for those of us who didn't grow up in a good environment. So God wants to bring some of that healing, okay? So for those of you who can identify with some of these things that I'm going to share, those of you who felt neglected by your parents, then I just encourage you, whether it's out loud or in your heart, to um, respond. And Father, we just invite your Holy Spirit... You are the healer. You are the deliverer. And I thank you that freedom comes through forgiveness and healing comes as we release lies and anger, Lord. So Heavenly Father, we forgive our parents for neglecting us in any way, for not being able to meet our needs, for not bonding with us, for not encouraging us, for not supporting us, for not making us feel safe. Lord, we forgive our parents for shaming us, for showing us conditional love instead of unconditional love. We forgive them for not showing us grace. We forgive them for not understanding us for not spending time with us, for not making us feel valued or important. We forgive them for yelling at us when we made mistakes, for scaring us, for withdrawing, for rejecting, for belittling us, Lord. And we also renounce the lie that our emotional needs aren't important. God, your word says that you will meet all of our needs through Christ. You designed us to have needs, and you want those needs to be met. And so we give our unmet needs to you, and we declare that you care about our needs, especially our emotional ones, and you want to meet them. Father, we renounce the lie that we have to earn our value. We renounce the lie that we have to prove our worth to ourselves, to you, God, to others. We renounce the lie that we can earn your love or lose your love. Father, we repent of agreeing with performance. We renounce the lie that you're not going to love us if we stop serving you or doing ministry. Father, we forgive our parents for generating a fear-based relationship where we felt if we don't do the right thing, we're going to lose this relationship. My parents aren't going to love me anymore. We renounce the lie, God, that you want a fear-based relationship with us, that if we do the wrong thing, you're just going to say no more. The Bible says that a son belongs to the family forever, and our sonship isn't based upon our performance. It's based upon your love for us and you giving us the positions of sons and daughters. God, we renounce the lie that we're only going to be loved when we're good, or we only deserve love when we act good. We renounce the lie that you're only going to love us when we're obedient. We renounce the lie that we have to be ashamed of ourselves when we make mistakes. We renounce the lie that you're going to reject us when we make mistakes. We repent of any self-hatred and self-rejection and fear of abandonment. And Father, we just renounce the lie that we should hate ourselves or reject ourselves when we make mistakes or that others will as well in jesus name we declare that we are accepted in love for who we are not for what we do we declare that we can enter your presence no matter what we've done because it's through the broken body and shed blood that we can enter into your temple of grace your throne of grace jesus you've made us righteous you've made us acceptable in the beloved. And we can't lose that. And we don't have to preserve it on our own. It's eternal through your covenant of grace. Because you love us, you establish this covenant. And you are our giver. Help us to receive more of your giving heart. In Jesus' name,
1: Amen. I'm thankful for Bob. He has been vulnerable in our midst on many occasions. And vulnerability releases grace. And it tells you, and it tells me, that we don't have to pretend here that we're something we're not. We don't have to pretend that we're not struggling if we are struggling. And so it's better to share that. That's why we do small groups. This is a safe place, and it's safe for you to share your struggles, either with a group or if you'd prefer it with an individual. When you hear a sermon like this, And you feel that there's something in you that needs to be dealt with. There are people here that would be willing to talk to you, to meet with you one on one. So avail yourself, take what Bob talked about and turn it into a time of sharing and prayer. In your sharing, don't forget to pray. Because in prayer, we we bring it home. We take a message and we, we bring it home. So I'd encourage you now, just start spinning around, groups of three. At the most four, you get five, you're not able to all share. But just spin around and, and talk about this. And maybe you share the kind of home you grew up in. Share where you are presently. If you're able to live with an identity that's whole in Christ, you know who you are. You know what God's done for you and doing for you. Or if there are areas of struggle in your life and you want prayer, then you want to pray for one another in that little group. So go ahead and spin now. Just go. Start moving.